Good morning to everybody again. I, I want to share a little bit with you today about influencing the next generation. <clears throat> influencing the next generation. Our text is going to be in the fifth book of the Bible, uh, so very near the front. If you uh, don't have a copy of the Bible with you, the text will be on the screen here in just a moment. But we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to pick up in chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. As you know, and, and we've talked about already this morning, uh, today's the day that we set aside here in the United States to focus on mothers, to, uh, to honor mothers, to remember them. And, uh, and I don't want to shortchange any of the amazing uh, women and mothers that many of us have had in our lives, uh, many amazing mothers here in this church today. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I also don't want to restrict our text just to them. I don't want to, I, if, if you're not a mother, don't, don't think that uh, this doesn't apply to you. And, and part of the reason is because, uh, frankly, the text itself is not restricted just to mothers. When we read through this, you'll notice it's not addressed specifically to mothers. Uh, it's, it's addressed primarily to parents, but, but not just to parents. Okay, so, um, so the text doesn't restrict itself just to mothers, but also... Part of it is because uh, I know that Mother's Day is a great time for a lot of us, but Mother's Day is kind of painful for some of us, too. I have a friend who uh, just lost her mother uh, just a couple days ago. This is going to be a very painful day for her. First day, the first Mother's Day that she's not going to have her mother with her. Uh, some of you maybe have not had a mother alive for many, many years. Uh, others of us have... Uh, maybe didn't have a godly mother. Maybe they were involved in drugs or alcohol, and, and it, uh, it ruined the family. Uh, on the other side of the motherhood coin, and we've gone through this uh, personally, uh, there are some people who, frankly, cannot uh, conceive children. And so days like Mother's Day and Father's Day are, are painful reminders of that. And so um, whether you have kids in the house, kids, grandkids, uh, maybe your kids are grown and, and they're, they're off doing their own thing. Maybe they're very small children. The Bible has a word to say to each of us about influencing the next generation. Now, where we pick up today, Moses is uh, recounting the law. And so uh, that's what Deuter Deuteronomy means. It's, it's a retelling of the law. Uh, the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. But before they do that, Moses gets the people together and he talks to them about how they should live their lives. He goes over what God has already said at Sinai and things like that. And so he's preparing them uh, to be in a culture that is, uh, that's far from God, that would lead them astray from God. And he tells them how to influence the next generation. So if you found Deuteronomy 6, in honor of God's Word, please stand as we read it. And we're going to pick up in verse 4 and read what the, uh, the Jewish people called the Shema. It comes from that first word that's translated here. It says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Now, your Bible may translate that verse uh, slightly differently. It's, it's a difficult verse to translate. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank you. May be seated. Now, there are three main things that I want you to see in our text today. The first is that, is that uh, in, when we influence the next generation towards godliness, in whatever capacity that is, teacher, aunt, uncle, parent, 
a grandparent, whatever that is, we first need to take care of ourselves. We first need to have proper priorities. Namely, God should be first in our lives. God should be first place in our lives. Now, this is a crucial but often uh, overlooked step. Look again at verse 5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all, <clears throat> and with all your might. Now, notice what it does not say. It does not say when you, when you go to influence the next generation, you need to love your kids more than anything else. It doesn't say you need to, to give your kids everything they want. It doesn't say you need to focus on your marriage. Now, is, are, are your kids a priority? Of course they are. are. Is your spouse a priority? Of course he or she is. Is your marriage a priority? Yes. But the Bible says love God supremely. That's what it means when it says love God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. You love Him with your whole, your whole being. It, it, it's not some half-hearted kind of love that we have for Him. It's loving Him with our whole self. He should be first in our lives. He should be the top priority. God alone is the one that we should uh, organize and structure our lives and our families around. Not our kids, not our schedules, not our kids' schedules, but God. Now again, should our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and spouses be a priority? Yes. But if you don't have God in His proper place, nothing else is going to fit right. Now several years ago, before the days of children, um, I got onto kind of a, a little bit of a puzzle kick. Puzzles are addictive. Have you ever started, not, not like the big seven-piece ones that your that kids have, but I mean like I would do the thousand-piece or the 1,500-piece. And part of the reason is because, well, I don't know why I did. I just kind of got on that kick. But part of it was because um, we wanted something to hang on the walls and we were too poor to buy any art. So we would buy these pictures that have been made into puzzles. I would work and put them together. Then we'd glue them and frame them and hang, it on, hang them on the wall. We've still got some. Actually, one of them's hanging in my study right now. Uh, the other one got, got kicked out. But anyway, one of the things that I would do, and maybe it's because I, I was looking at it wrong, where I'd just get frustrated looking and, and couldn't find the piece that went in a certain place, sometimes I would take a piece and I'd try to fit it where it didn't belong. And I know you've tried to do this too. And, and boy, you just, you're like, man, I know I can make it fit. I know I can make, it's just a piece of cardboard, I can make this fit. And boy, you'll, you'll hold your mouth just right and you'll really bear down on it. And, and finally, you may get it to stick in there. Sometimes it looks kind of like it fits, sometimes it doesn't. But the thing about it is, that piece doesn't belong in that spot. And not only does it not fit right, but then when you go to put other pieces and attach it to that, nothing else fits right either, right? That's the way it is when we try to put someone or something else in the place that only God should have. We try to put them in that spot or that thing in that spot, and it, we may try really hard to make it work right, but just didn't fit. And not only does it not fit, but then we, when we go to organize the rest of our lives around that, nothing else fits right either. And so we need to have God in His rightful place. If we're going to influence kids' lives, be right with God yourself first. The second part of uh, influencing our, our kids and our grandkids, the next generation, if you look at verse 6, it's internalizing the commands of God. Internalizing the commands of God. Isn't it interesting that two-thirds of influencing the next generation is all about us? It's not about what we do with our kids. It's getting ourselves right first. And why do you think that is? I think that it's because we can't give somebody something we don't have ourselves. And you try to influence 
the next generation, if you're not where you need to be, you can't influence them like you need to. But look at verse 6 again. It says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, there are two parts to this. First, we need to know God's commands. You can't have it in your heart if you don't know what it is. Now, how do you know God's commands? Well, one way is by doing what we did today. Come together as a church body, as a church family, and read and study the Scriptures. That's one way to learn God's Word, to learn what He wants. But as important as this is, it's not the best way. The best way to know what God says is to read the Bible for yourself. Now, a lot of Christians are content just to... You've seen birds, right? And when they go to feed a baby, what do they do? They're baby birds. They regurgitate it, right? What this is, this is regurgitation. You're eating what I've already chewed up. I've already had to deal with the text. That's gross, isn't it? But that, you'll, you'll hopefully you'll remember that. Whenever we study the Scripture ourselves, if you've ever had one of those aha moments when you're reading it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I get that. Now I understand how that fits in my life. Now I understand uh, how I should be living. You'll remember that a whole lot longer and a whole lot better than if you come and listen to what I've had an aha moment about and I tell you about it. Okay, so coming to, coming to church, vitally important. The Bible says to do it. But you should read the Bible for yourself. And you don't have to be legalistic about it. Sometimes, January 1, what do we do? I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. And to do that, I'm going to have to read 12 chapters a day. Or I'm, and I don't think it's that many. But, but, you know, maybe we'll set a goal. Well, I was going to read the Bible through, but, you know, I, I messed up on January 2nd. So now I'm going to pick back up in June. So now I'm really going to have to turn it on and read a whole bunch of chapters, a whole bunch of verses. And we set a goal for ourselves. And then kids have games. Uh, somebody gets sick. You know how it is. You're just tired after work. You come home and sit in the chair and fall asleep. You don't get your Bible reading done. And then we beat ourselves up and say, Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm a terrible Christian. I didn't read all my scriptures. I'm supposed to. No, you don't have to be legalistic about it. But what I'm saying is we all need to read the words. And then when we discover stuff for ourselves, it'll stick. But the second part of having the commandments written on our hearts is that we need to internalize these things. We need to let them change us from the inside out. See, the Bible teaches, and, and Jesus says it very explicitly, that our actions are based on what's in our heart. So if you, uh, if you steal something, stealing something doesn't make you a thief. You stole because you are a thief. It happened in the heart first. If you commit adultery, it's because you committed adultery in your heart first. If you lie, it's because you're a liar in your heart first. All these things that we do, we think that the outward behavior makes us these things. But the outward behavior is because we already are those things on the inside. And so what the Bible says to do here is have these things in your heart first. <coughs> and then what we do is we let the commands of God, the Word of God, transform us from the inside out, when it changes our heart, our behavior begins to change. So these commands change us. They become incorporated into the way that we live. And so then when we talk to our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, nephews, whoever it is, and we talk to them about God, whenever they, whenever they hear your words and they see it backed up in your life, then it's going to make an impact. But if they hear what you're saying, you talk a good game about going to church and, and doing all these things, but then 
when you're not in front of people at church, when you're at home, when you're at the store, when you're driving down the interstate, and you're not living them, they're going to think either, A, you're a big hypocrite because you talk one thing and do something else, or B, they'll, they'll think you don't really care about your faith because you're not actually trying to live it. Okay, so we need to have God in the first place in our lives. We need to internalize our, uh, the commands of God. And finally, he gets to the part where, uh, that we would probably think he should start. And that is, to influence the next generation, we need to actually teach our kids about God. Now, I want you to look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Just, just scan through those verses. As you're scanning through those, I want you to, to, to notice where this is primarily supposed to happen. Where is this instruction supposed to happen? Is it Sunday school? Nope. Is it the synagogue? No. Is it church service? Bible school? Any of those things? No. Now, are those things important? Absolutely. But the most important place for this to happen is at home. Now, there's an African proverb, and you've probably heard, I, I think it was Hillary Clinton that, that really popularized this, uh, this saying. It takes a village to what? To raise a child. And there's an aspect of that which is true. But, you know, I get real sick of hearing that, uh, that proverb because too many people are content to let the village raise the kids and they don't care enough about it to do it themselves. Now, Christians sometimes take that same type of idea and they say, well, I'll just let the Sunday school teacher take care of it. He or she knows more about it than I do. I'll just let the preacher answer that question. I'll, I'll just let the church, I'll just let the Bible school answer all those questions. I'll let them uh, lay it all out. Now, again, those things are important. They reinforce the teaching, but that should primarily be happening at the home. So, how are we to instruct them? Look at what he says in, uh, in verse 7. You shall teach them how? Diligently. Now, I'm, I don't know if I should use this visual aid because I only have half of it. But I fear half of a visual aid is better than zero visual aids. The word translated as diligent in the original language means to wet, and not W-E-T, W-H-E-T. So you can see the half that I have, the great big knife. What does it mean to wet a knife? It doesn't mean you pour water on it. It means you take a whetstone, right? Now, this is a cheapo knife. You know, it needs wetted. But if I were to go out and fight me a bar, I, you know, I'm Davy Crockett, I'm whoever, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight me a bear, and I want to sharpen my knife, how do I do that? Do I take my whetstone and go, whoosh, all right, bring it on? No especially when it's real dull like this. I don't do it one time. I do it a lot of times, right? And I'll just go... Instead, it's at an angle. Just little by little, over and over again. That repetition. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. Anybody nervous watching me do this over my hand? <laughs> but again, it's, it's dull. So, but that's what we're to do with our kids. We're to take the scriptures and little by little, the Bible says line by line, precept by precept, here a little, there a little, 
just over and over again, teach them the things of God. We should, we should teach our kids like they vote in Chicago, early and often. It should, it should just be one of those things that it, we're all, always on the lookout to teach our kids. And look at verse 7. Look at what it says. Where is it supposed to happen? He says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and, and of course daughters in there as well, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. What he's saying is we need to keep our eyes open all the time for teachable moments every day and use those things. Now, there are people who believe that, uh, that Christians should, you know, just keep your faith to yourself, keep it in the church house, that's where it belongs, but don't bring it out uh, into public. But that's wrong. We need to live it out in all aspects of our lives, and part of that is, is realizing and recognizing God at work in the world around us and then helping our kids see the same thing. See, that's where, that's where a lot of us stop because we, we can see that God's at work, but we don't ever help our kids to see that same thing. So maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you have a kid that, that's really into animals. They're really into plants. They're really into the inner workings of the human body. I heard about uh, one guy that took a, like a 10-year-old kid out deer hunting. He went deer hunting. They killed the deer. They, he gutted it and everything with the kid there, and somebody later asked the kid, what was your favorite part? He said, seeing the guts. That's natural. I mean, kids are interested in those things. So you have a kid that's interested in those things, what do you do? Well, you can tell them what you know in an age-appropriate way, tell them what you know about those things, but then take it one step further and say, you know what? It's amazing how this animal eats that animal and that one eats this one. It's all based on this plant life. Well, God must have been really smart. He must be very wise to put something like that in order. He must be really powerful. You look up at the sky and, and see all these stars and their space and planets. and Boy, look, look how, think how big it is. That the heavens, even the highest heavens, can't contain God? Wow, he's, he's really big, huh? He's everywhere. Guess what? You're laying foundational theology just, just in a, a, a couple sentences. Now, are the kids going to be uh, PhDs in, in theology? No, but you know what? You're, you're building those things into their lives. And may, maybe your kid comes to you, probably not teenagers, and they ask you, I'm trying to make this decision. Can I have some input on it? What do you think I should do? And that would be a great time to, to say, well, you know, here's how Scripture comes to bear on, on this situation. What are you doing? You're helping them see that Scripture is not something that you just read on Sunday morning as you listen to the preacher talk about it, but it's something that affects everyday life. Now, I also want you to notice where this is happening. Look at verse 7 again. There's nothing said about a classroom. A lot of parents, a lot of grandparents are intimidated. You start talking about teaching kids. They think, oh, well, I've never been to college about teaching. I, I can't teach. Notice that he doesn't say teach them in a classroom, the best setting for this is not a classroom, but day by day, little by little, help them know about God. And the last thing, if you look at uh, verses 8 and 9, he talks about always having his commands before our eyes. He, talk, he says they should be bound on our heads and our hands in the doorposts of our homes. Now, the ancient Israelites, very soon after this was written, and even up to the time Jesus uh, was on the scene and even later than that, they took this literally. 
And so what they would do is there were certain verses in, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they would write them on parchment, and they'd roll them up real little, and they'd put them in these little boxes or leather pouches. And then they would bind them on their foreheads and on their hands. And those were called phylacteries. And so if you're reading in the Scriptures, uh, especially in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the Pharisees enlarging their phylacteries, and that's a great big word. We don't know what it means. So what they would do is they would, they would take these little boxes that everybody was wearing, and they'd make them great big to show everybody, oh, look how spiritual I am, draw attention to themselves. Or it talks about putting it on the doorposts of, of the home. And what they would do is they would have things called mezuzah, and they would take Scripture and they would put it in these boxes and nail it to the doorpost. And then whenever an Israelite would go into a door or out of a door, they would always look at that box and usually touch it. They, they began to use it almost like a good luck charm. Now, this same type of wording is actually used in Isaiah uh, 49. And it appears uh, very, very different context. It appears that this was kind of a proverbial statement, not to be taken literally. Aren't you glad because none of us have flatteries on our heads? So what does this mean if it's not to be taken literally? Well, what he's saying is we need to have those things always before us. As one of the old authors put, he said, The spirit of the command, however, and the chief thing intended undoubtedly was that they should give all diligence and use all means to keep God's laws always in remembrance, as men frequently bind something upon their hands or put something before their eyes to prevent forgetfulness of a thing which they much desire to remember. When I was growing up, I used to hear a lot of people talk about, I'm going to put a string on my finger. Help me remember. You ever hear that? Now we don't talk about putting a string on our finger. We say, I'm going to write it on the palm of my hand. Or I'm going to write it on the back of my hand. Hopefully you wash them, and that's not a very good place for it. But we talk about putting, putting stuff on our hands to help us remember stuff, right? That's what, that's what the Scripture is talking about here. Some people will put a post-it note or an index card or something on a mirror so they'll see it whenever they uh, wash their hands or, or whatever it is. We need to always have those things. We need to contemplate the Word of God. We need to always have it before us. Now, there are a lot of people today who say parents should not teach their kids about faith. Instead, they should just, uh, you know, just leave them be, and then when they get to be old enough, then they can make their own choice. Well, listen, that's nonsense. That is in direct violation of what uh, God says to do right here. But on top of that, the people who say that, all that does is show that the parents themselves don't really care much about the faith that they have. Because if they did, and it was meaningful to them, they would want their children to have it too, and they would teach them about it. Folks, we need this command today. We need to instruct. We need to help. We need to influence the younger generation. And again, we don't have to, you know, somebody said the Bible makes a better uh, sword than club. You don't have to beat somebody over the head with it. But, little by little, day by day, Build those things into your, into your kids' lives. Because we are surrounded by a culture filled with anti-Christian messages. Yes, the church can reinforce the biblical teaching, but it's up to you as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle. Maybe you're, maybe you're older. You have some younger cousins. You can teach those things. Teach those things to the younger generations. Influence them. And maybe you're here and you need to commit to doing that today. Maybe, maybe you've not been real intentional about it. You haven't really thought about it. 
or um, or maybe you have and it's kind of kind of slacked off. Maybe you need to recommit to doing that, to being intentional about influencing those kids. Maybe you need to get yourself fixed first. Remember, two thirds of this doesn't have anything to do with the kids. It has to do with us. Having God first in our own lives, having His Word in our heart. Maybe you need to get yourself fixed. And maybe you're just not telling your kids about God because you don't know Him yourself. Maybe you've never met Him in a personal way. You've never repented of your sins. You've never turned your back on those things. You've never asked God to forgive you. If that's the case, you can do that today. The Bible says that if we will repent and believe, that we'll be saved. And if you've never done that, you're not sure what to do, come see me. I, I'm not going to save you. I can't save anybody. I can't save myself. But I can, I can point you to Jesus who can save you. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, just in the quiet of this time. Who is the influence in your life? Be intentional about influencing. Is it your kids? Your grandkids? Maybe you have, again, maybe your kids are out of the home. They've been out of the home for a long time. You know what? You can still be a godly influence on those on those adults. You can be a godly influence on the grandkids if there are any in uh, in the picture. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. Maybe you're maybe you're an adult, but you have younger cousins that you have regular interaction with. You can. Influence them. Maybe you're a young person. Be open and teachable. I remember being that age. I thought my folks didn't know much. But they've been around a whole lot longer than we have. <laughs> Again, maybe you maybe you need to meet Jesus today. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us all to uh, help us all to influence those generations that are coming up behind us. Because we have a vested interest, we don't want to see them go astray because we uh, we love our kids and our grandkids our nieces, our nephews, our cousins <coughs> Lord I know that uh, many of the people here uh, work in some capacity uh, in a school maybe it's as a teacher as a coach as uh, whatever it is they have dealings with a lot of kids Help us be godly influenced with them as well. Maybe our hands are tied about uh, what we can and cannot say. 
uh, but help us to show kindness and love to uh, to those around us. And God, for the person maybe who's never accepted Christ, I ask that you would um, let them become your child today.